So today, uh, it's a little bit different. Um, I am Noah Martin. I am a no longer rookie anymore, and I have gotten my own show. This is wonderful. I'm excited to be here. I'm so excited. Um, and today, I have Nate with me, uh, and he's going to he's going to say a little bit about himself. Nate, what have you been up to recently in life? Uh, actually, I just got out of audio engineering school. I'm recently certified. So, if there's any studio people out there that want to give me some work, you know, I'll gladly do it. I'll mix your song or whatever, you know, I'll do whatever. Shameless plug. <laughs> what can I say, you know? Other than that, not too much, you know, just watching movies and just reading books and living life. So, speaking of shameless plugs, uh, actually, that's going to be what's happening uh, right now. So this radio show, in and of itself, is a shameless plug. This new show is called Retrospection Radio. And Retrospection Radio, specifically Retrospection Radio Theater, is the name of my podcast, which is an audio drama horror anthology. Um, so, along with the whole, you know, audio dramas and casting actors and music and all that, I wanted to bring in um, a more sit-down talking element while also practicing being on the air. Why not? Uh, and that was kind of my idea. So, basically... Uh, if you haven't heard about it, um, which you probably haven't, Retrospection Radio Theater was... I, I go off, I cast a whole bunch of actors, um, like new voice actors. I give them some coaching, some directing, some teaching. Uh, and then from there, they take one of the scripts that I've written, they act it out. I will edit it together using my audio editing knowledge. Uh, and I most times make my own music that goes along with that throw it together, and then we have a radio drama, a good play. Um, so, in the same vein as that, at least the same concept um, of what Retrospection Radio means, uh, we're here with the talk show. So, Retrospection Radio focuses on basically 1920s audio dramas and the history that's happened throughout the 1900s to the 2000s and even into the 2000s a little bit. So a lot of the episodes will be have been um, placed in either fantasy settings or in the 1900s or in alternate realities uh, and or alternate timelines. And that's what I want to talk a little bit about in this in this next hour um, is going to be Basically, 1900s to 2000s stuff. Um, also, I was a huge fan when I was younger of the whole, um, especially in high school, just audio dramas in general, horror, scary stuff. And it quickly became one of my favorite genres. Ironically, I don't really play it that much in video games, but I do a lot of movies and a lot of TV shows. And from there, I said, why can't I just write it and make it myself? And ever since then, I have been doing it. I really, really enjoy horror. I really, really enjoy scary things. Uh, so I have Nate on here with me today. And we're going to be discussing some of the scary movies that have helped influence us today. So, Nate, I want to ask you, uh, do you have a scary movie that we can talk about and discuss? Well, uh... I'd say that probably my favorite horror movie of all time is the original Halloween from Ooh, 1978. John Carpenter. Oh, I love John Carpenter. His movies are great. So, yeah, I, I'd say my favorite horror movie is by John Carpenter, too. Um, John Carpenter is very interesting. 
because he's got a lot of hits and he's got a lot of misses too where you know you've got the aliens with the sunglasses like they live they live that one that movie is great though i love that movie assault on precinct 14 uh that one I have not seen, actually. I've seen uh, They Live. I've seen Escape from New York. Mm-hmm. I've That's seen The Thing, and I've seen Halloween. I haven't seen the second Halloween because I don't really like the Halloween sequels. I just like, like the original because it's just like so different from all the other ones, and it just like yeah. doesn't try too hard. So it's really weird because I watched Halloween uh, senior year, maybe freshman year of college, um, senior high school, freshman year of college, and it's the weirdest thing in the world because I didn't really like it. I love the music, I, I love the concepts of it, but it, it is what defined the slasher genre, and yeah. after growing up watching so many slashers, to go back and watch the original film, there's this cool nostalgia and history behind it, but it was really hard for me to stay interested because I was like, okay, well, you know, this guy's unkillable. These people, you know, these teenagers off on Halloween are going to go die. And it's, it's a very generic plot. But at the time, it was relatively different and re- revolutionary. Like, the only other things that had been around at that point were something like Psycho. Yeah. Um, but uh, I can kind of understand that viewpoint, you know, because it's kind of like a slow burn and stuff like that like it's there's not a whole lot going on in it i just really like because i grew up like watching a lot of horror movies my dad would always make me watch like friday the 13th and uh especially nightmare on elm street and stuff like that and also halloween but i do remember like i think the scene where uh where like she's banging on the door and she's trying to get into the house and michael myers is walking across the street and it's like she's like let me in and he's getting closer and closer that scene used to terrify me when i was a kid that was like one of the scariest things ever and every time i watch it i still get that kind of like knot in my stomach like oh my god like i know she's gonna make it obviously she's the main character but like it's just i don't know it's just that it kind of just takes me back it's a very interesting movie it's just a combination of the music and just just the whole like it doesn't explain anything because it doesn't need to whereas all the sequels are like oh it was his sister all along and blah 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 and it's just after that, it just got way too carried away and just over-explained everything, which is just something that does not need to happen. I think that's what John Carpenter and a lot of really good horror movies do best, is these situations where you should be fine or you should be able to escape. All of a sudden, it's not going right. Now, the cliche is, you know, you're running away from the bad guy and, oh, no, I tripped. Oh, no, yeah. I'm on the ground. Oh, they caught me. I'm dead. But, uh... <laughs> have you ever tried running away in a scary situation or something like that? You you don't really pay attention to the ground. You don't see the log that's sticking up off the ground. You're just like tunnel vision, adrenaline pumping, sprinting through the forest, and you know you jump over some things. Of course you're going to trip. Uh, oh, yeah. It, it gets bashed on a lot, especially like standing at a door knocking like, let me in, let me in, and then all of a sudden the door opens for you yeah. know deus ex machina reasons. Um, but it's those concepts of just being completely and utterly helpless at somewhere and someplace where you shouldn't be or where you're just kind of fine. Um, I think that's why we're afraid of the monster in the closet or stuff under the bed or like, you know, whatever that is tapping on your window at night because it shouldn't be there. 
and it should be different. It should be just fine, and there should be nothing under the bed. But for some reason, your mind's like, ah, I've seen enough horror films to know where this is going. Yeah. Main character lying in bed at night. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> the window's open. Someone's going to come through there. Oh, the window cliche. That is that is one of them that I don't like, where the window's left open, and then, you know, the wind's blowing, and the character's like, ah, turns on the light, it's just the curtains, and they're like, oh, I'm fine, but then the monster got in a different way, and you're like, ah. But speaking on Halloween, that cliche, I think, like, I forget what part it was, I think it was when, like, she gets into the house, and, like, she thinks she's safe, and then she looks over and sees, like, a window, like a, like a, like a window tall enough for like a person to walk through, like one of those like person-sized windows, I guess. And like it's open, and you see the curtain flowing, and it's like, oh, he's in the house now. It's like, like it's really starting to like. And then he comes out from behind the couch with like the his knife, and then she like gets him in the neck with like the sewing needle or whatever, the knitting needle. Yeah, I I think the dilemma with horror cliches is if it's done right, it's done right. Oh yeah. So, you know, even if it's a cliche, even if it's Hunger Games, best example. If you ever watch the Hunger Games movie, right at the end, um, you've got the main character, Katniss, and basically she knows these little beasts are going to be coming, um, and what the camera does to tell you there's a jump scare coming, um, because, by the way, if you don't know Hunger Games, it's not a horror movie, it's a dystopian. Um, Basically, in the movie, there's a jump scare, and... uh, it closes, the camera closes in around her, and the sound starts to go down. It's pretty much silence. And then the camera pulls back, and it shows you that there's nothing there. But then from behind her, it's just out of the bushes, boom, right there. Um, and, you know, it's a jump scare, and people don't really like jump scares. You either like them or you don't. And most times, the people I've run into, that's the reason why they don't like horror. They don't like the jump scares, even though there's more, so much more to horror. Yeah. Um, and that's, in my mind, a perfect example of a jump scare done right is the camera tells you everything. And every single time I watch that scene, it still gets me, even though I can read cameras and sound and all that stuff. Uh, it just hits me. And I think that's where, when you do your cinematography right... It works, of course. Uh, one that I can think of, a horror movie that I can think of that uses that. <laughs> I, I guess you can call it a horror movie. It's more of a comedy. As a kid, to me, it was scary, so scary. But now it's now it's just kind of like ha ah, funny. Um, it's called Ernest Scared Stupid. I've heard of it. I have not like seen all of it, but I've seen like clips from it and stuff like that. I am aware of that movie. Yeah. So, uh, basically, Jim Varnell, um, who did Ernest Goes to Camp, Ernest Goes to War, uh, and before that, he was basically a commercial guy, and that's how he got found for those movies. Yeah, the Mellow Yellow commercials. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And he always did movies with kids, um, kids as lead characters and all that, Uh, and I watched all the other ones, and they're funny, they're great, he's really good, he reminds me a lot of Jim Carrey, um, because of all the face stuff. Yeah, they're like just like the really expressive like very, kind of acting. Very expressive. And then he normally plays like a really dumb person, so it really helps with that uh Ernest. But in Ernest Scared Stupid, basically what happens is there is a troll that came over with the pilgrims or something uh and 
they or the troll is able to if he touches a kid he like to, turns him into like a little statue exactly wooden yeah. dolls and then he uses i believe it's five wooden dolls um in his lair to basically hatch and create more uh, trolls and it also gives him power so he gets stronger to the point where he's unkillable um and there's a whole you know well a whole comedy section with that there's only one way to kill him and you yeah know, they, they think it's supposed to be milk but he thinks it's like meak or something like that and he pulls out <laughs> the jar it's like meak it's, it's <laughs> and the way the troll like says that meak and at the time <laughs> yeah. the troll was really well done because he kind of had yeah, like, it's like really good animatronics and stuff like that it was a real person mm-hmm. but it was like stuff built off him and what really helped was like his ears would wiggle and he was very expressionate um it was a good counter to Ernest. And when he says Miak, like the ears wiggle back and forth, and he yeah. just looks so confused yet somewhat excited about what's happening. Um, <laughs> but in the movie, there are, are three main kids um, there's Kenny, there's Name, and there's Other Name. Um, Kenny, Elizabeth, and the kid who dies first. Uh, <laughs> Gotta love that kid. Great kid. Um, and basically, uh, you follow Ernest most of the time, but you're really following these kids, too, and their lives in this small town with this monster running amok, uh, especially because it goes after kids. So Ernest is safe, pretty much, um, and a lot of the adults are, but the kids are the ones who need to be scared. And there's a scene where uh, it's Halloween night, of course, and everyone's going out trick-or-treating. And with Elizabeth, she goes, nope, I'm not going out. I'm not going out. I'm staying in my room. I'm not okay with this. I'm scared. I know there's a monster around. I've seen it. No. Uh, so she stays in her room. And her parents go off uh, trick-or-treating. And everyone's gone from the house. Um, and she would asked her mom to check underneath the bed. And her mom was like, it's fine. There's nothing underneath the bed. Just go to bed. And oh, Elizabeth- I know this part. Yeah. <laughs> Elizabeth's like, uh, okay. Uh, but right when they entered the room, um, they kind of noticed like the curtains open and the chance of something that had entered but elizabeth uh goes into bed lights are all on and then she peers underneath the bed she grasps the curtains and she looks under there and there's no monster and me as an audience member as a kid this part scared me the most um knowing that something was there but not hiding under the bed and not sure where it was is scary because you have all the lights on. You've got your teddy bear. Like you're good to go. You should be safe. And uh, then she uh, she puts back down the covers and goes back to her bed, holds her teddy bear to her chest, and sighs a little bit and goes, oh, "Nobody's here." And then the camera pans back just a little bit, and it shows the troll next to her, and she turns her head, yeah. opens her eyes screams and the yeah. troll goes Ugh. yeah and then seen that she part. just that scares me it scared me to this day it scared me as a kid it may be funny to some people i completely understand but it's one of those like when you start as a child and you watch all these movies and stuff um like it uh oh yeah it yes like the- the sewer great scene like that i mean that <sighs> the original is like kind of corny in some senses but it used to terrify me mm-hmm. like it scared me really bad like especially like 
you know, like with the just the exchange of just like, oh, you want your boat back? And it's like, oh, come on, get it. We have all sorts of stuff down here. It's fun down here. And it's like, <laughs> but it's, like, it's a you're, sewer. You're a clown in a sewer. <laughs> and even when I saw like, when I saw the the remake of it, of uh, it, and like just seeing it all again, but in like, I guess you could say arguably much more well made because it's a like, it's a movie that's in a theater and not a mini series on TV from 1990. So it's, <laughs> so it's obviously amped up the horror, but like even seeing the first one, like it, it kind of scared me cause it kind of made me revert back to just being a kid and just reminding exactly. me how the original scared me. And like my friends, like it wasn't scary. It was funny. It's like, yeah, it was funny, but just like, it just unlocked all these childhood exactly. horrors of my mind. It, I watching it again, um, as an adult, the miniseries, I, I laughed a lot. It was yeah, a pretty it's funny really, and corny it is series. Really, really funny. But I have this memory where basically for an entire week I had this recurring nightmare because I watched the miniseries and it was that scary to me as a kid. And I think honestly, that and Ernest Scared Stupid are the two reasons why I like love horror so much because I like being scared. I like feeling uneasy with all these different aspects to a movie and I like the fear of the unknown yeah. because it's just, I'm a very philosophical person. So, you know, I like to sit in bed and contemplate death and what it means to die. Um, <laughs> along I with, mean, you know, doesn't? the creation of the universe and all this and being scared, like truly scared by a horror movie helps unlock that part of my brain where it really just makes me feel uneasy, unsafe. And I love it so much. I think, like, uh, in terms of just, like, feel, just the general feeling of unease, the, I haven't, like, I watch a lot of old horror movies because I just like old stuff, like, old music, old movies. It just has a different feel to it and look, and I just really, really just, like, it just speaks to me for some reason, and I can't really explain why, but I watched Rosemary's Baby, like, I think in October because I wanted to watch a horror movie, like, every day of October, and I wanted to watch that because I hadn't seen it before. And I didn't really know much about it other than girl becomes pregnant with the devil's child. <laughs> but literally every other person in that, like, it makes you not afraid of, like, the whole devil thing. The devil thing's not really a very strong thing. It's just the fact that, like, you don't know just every person around her, the main character, is just really suspicious and, like, you don't know whether or not they're on her side or on the other side. And there's just, like, really suspicious things happening. Like, you hear them, like, on the other side of the wall. They're, like, chanting and stuff like that. They're trying to give her, like, weird concoctions of stuff. Like, she's feeling sick. And it's like, here, drink this weird concoction of herbs and stuff that's just <laughs> nasty. Drink it. It's oh, good you'll for feel you. fine. And it's fine. like, and even she goes to the doctor. And even she's like, these people are insane. They're witches. They're devil worshippers. Because she finds a book about, like, witches witchcraft and stuff it's like look they're doing this and that and he's like oh no it's fine you're just hysterical and blah 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 and like literally like this poor girl is just like everyone around me does thinks i am crazy and everyone is involved in this weird scheme and it is just like i was watching i just the anxiety i felt like in my stomach i'm like this is like this is a movie from 1967 and it is making me feel genuine fear and just like what is going to happen so it's just it was amazing i'm going to use that to segue off onto my favorite horror movie 
also by John Carpenter, um, who uses that same element of the fear of the unknown and paranoia to create what I consider a masterful, masterful film. Uh, it is The Thing. Oh, I love The Thing. Yes. That I, is such a good movie. I recently rewatched it with friends who had never seen it, um, and then we watched the prequel sequel. Uh, and Is that any good? I you haven't know, seen the, se- the uh, prequel sequel. The first time I watched it, I was like, wow, I really like this. And then I just watched it again. And I'm like, okay, that's the same, that's the same, that's the same, that's it. It's not good. It's just the I original. I figured as much. It's a, it's a modern horror. So it's a lot more jump scares, a lot less plot. And it's you're supposed to get interested with these characters. But really, there's no reason to be interested in the characters. Um which is completely different from the original. Um, well, not the original original, because basically the way the thing goes is you got the thing, the book. Uh, then you've got the thing from outer space, uh, which is a 1950s or 60s movie. Then you've got John Carpenter's The Thing, which is based more off the book than the 50s one. The 50s one kind of went its own way. Uh, and then you've got the prequel sequel, along with video games and comic books. Um, not... One video game and a couple comic books, so not really a lot of stuff, um, which is great. So The Thing uses that fear of the unknown uh, and that paranoia to build And, like, to you me. don't know who's, like, infected by, like... Exactly. The, uh, this, what is basically... The, like, who's been assimilated by the alien. So basically you have a shapeshifter. The movie starts off with a dog running across the Antarctic plains um, with two Norwegians in a helicopter shooting at the dog and chasing it down. They end up at the American base, um, at an American base, uh, and there's pretty much Norwegians, Americans. Those were the two that were in Antarctica at the time. Uh, And they land. They keep trying to kill the dog. They throw grenades. One of the guys blows up in the helicopter because of the grenades, and the other guy gets shot in the head. And the Americans are like, two dead Norwegians and a dog. Why? So basically what happens from there um, is the American base is trying to basically live life normally until the thing reveals itself. And the thing is a shapeshifter um, capable of taking forms. And if you were to be bitten or scratched or anything by the thing, it would get its cells into you and the cells would then uh, copy your cells and replace them. So you would slowly, over time, become a thing. So it's not one sentient being. It's basically the cells itself. Um, And that leads to... Oh, sorry. Also, the thing likes to hide in plain sight. It will not reveal itself unless it knows it's going to win and be able to spread. So that leads to the movie. You are stuck in Antarctica with Kurt Russell which is a lovely situation. Um, <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't want to be stuck in Antarctica with anyone else. With Kurt Russell, like, I'd, be, I'd I, see him and it's like, I feel safe. This is Kurt Russell. Exactly. And the hair and the beard that he had, very 80s, very strong man. Um, I mean, that's why he was in Assault on Precinct, and that's why yeah. he was in, you know, that's Escape from was, New uh, York. and s- What was it? Snake Blizzkin? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Um, yeah, that's, that's exactly it. I like Kurt Russell. I like his movies. I like him as an actor. There is uh, not, I haven't seen a bad movie he's in. I, I saw one that he did with like 
Sylvester Stallone was like a buddy cop movie called like Tango and Cash, and it is the quintessential 80s buddy cop movie. They jump away from an explosion at the end and exchange one-liners, end with a high-five freeze frame. Yes. It's, oh. It is amazing. That is a good ending to any film. So basically, uh, to continue with the thing, um, the thing will not reveal itself to a large group of people. Uh, So basically what happens is one person's infected out of a group of, I think, nine people. And you cannot cannot trust anyone, including the protagonist, as an audience member. And you're constantly guessing who is it, how, when, why, what, where, all this stuff. And it leads to some really good scenes. Uh, Most notably, the two scenes um, that stick out to me the most in that film... First one was where uh, the doctor is rubbing paddles together, and he's going oh to defibrillate gosh. a body. And when he places the paddles on the ground, the body opens up, like the rib cage opens up, and then bites off the doctor's hands. And then everyone's like, whoa, it was a thing, run away, ah! <laughs> yeah. I used to, like... For a long time when I was a kid, I only saw clips from that movie, specifically that one, and it would just, like, I'd see it, and I was like, this is the most, like, disgusting, horrifying thing I've ever, like, it just messed me up, and I was afraid to watch it for years, and then I watched it, it's like, this movie is awesome. Yeah, it's it's good. Uh, next scene is probably the most famous scene, is the blood sample scene. And basically what happens is, they figure out that the thing uh, likes to defend itself in some way, somehow, because it's the cells and not necessarily the creature itself. So they get everyone's blood samples, and then they heat up. They have flamethrowers, so they use the edge of a flamethrower to heat up a metal rod and then tap it to the blood. And if the blood reacts, it's a thing. Um, so basically, that's what they do. Um, they do it with all the characters, and one of the blood reacts and everyone starts freaking out. I won't go any more into the scene, but that is probably, it still stands out so much, so much. It is quite a movie. It is like, just like the music is like very minimal. Like a lot of it is just like a baseline. It's just the same droning kind of note. Like doom, to your heart. It's yep. just like, it is great. And it's just like the whole thing was just like, everyone's suspicious of each other. They think like, who was it? It was uh, it wasn't the doctor who got his hands chopped off. It was it was Wilfred Brimley's character, like he like he figures it out very early on, like what the thing is and like what it's trying to do, and he like tries to smash all the communications equipment so that like the thing can't like take over the person, and then try to like like hey send help, you know, because like obviously they're gonna come, and then the thing is gonna like take over the world, so he's trying to like do that. But then he just kind of goes off the deep end and tries to build a spaceship or something like that. Yeah, so he was a thing. Yeah, he, he did turn out to be one. Yeah. But not at first. Exactly. So the question is, when did he turn? And we... The best thing about the film, it leaves on a cliffhanger where you get to uh, question a bunch of things. Um, and specifically throughout the film, uh, John Carpenter said, the first person to be infected is never shown. 
So we don't know if he was infected at the time. Yeah, that's true. Because like things. the dog walks into somebody's room and it just shows like it's a just shadow. A shadow, exactly. And even the crew doesn't know because what John Carpenter did, and this is brilliant as a director, he made a dummy, and he made it look like two of the characters. And he sat it down, so that way you get the shadow, and then you'd see the dog enter and get the shadow of that. So nobody knows besides John Carpenter. Same thing with how the ending is. Like, what the ending is and what it reveals, nobody knows besides John Carpenter, and that is a secret he will probably take to his grave. That's what I like. Like, any kind of, like, director or, like, even a songwriter that just, like, won't reveal, like, what a song is about. Like Bob Dylan, like when when you try to ask him what his songs are about, he will just not answer you. Like he's just like, no, like I'm not going to tell you that. <laughs> you figure that out. And I just like, I like having just like that control. Like where someone's like, like even with a song, like I wrote something for some project we had to do while I was at school. We had to write a song. Like someone's like, what do you, what is your like lyrics about? And I was like, they're about whatever you want them to be about. And I was just like, I had that feeling, just like that feeling of control. It's like, only I know. If you want to know, make it up yourself. And then you can say that you know. See, and and that's something that's very interesting about that open-endedness. And even non-open-endedness. Songs mean, especially songs, mean different things to different people. So, for instance, I'm going to go to... Actually, I'm going to not use a song. I'm going to use a book um, or a movie called the giver are you familiar with that um i remember reading it in middle school i don't really remember much of it yeah so to sum up it's a dystopian society where a bunch of people live and see in black and white um their lives are black and white everything is just black and white it's simple uh and there is one person in the society who is tasked with having the memories of all of these older people so like you know your baby's first laugh to a run on the beach or to any of that because all these other people are living black and white lives they're it's very plain um so the main character i believe it was jonas uh gets basically hired as the next giver uh who is a person who stores and controls all those memories i do remember that i don't like there's like little bits that i remember from it was i can't remember was there one part where it's like there's some part that involved like a little like baby or like a little kid and he has to like do something about that i forget though so what happens is they killed a lot of babies um in order to keep that i did not know (laughs) yes in order to keep society a certain way uh to keep it black and white, any genetic variations, anything like that, baby would get killed. Uh, and it was, it, I think it's decided at like the first birthday or something. So Jonas, as a giver, um, or as a in-training giver, uh, is tasked with learning these memories and stuff, and he starts to see in color instead of black and white anymore and he gets all these memories and he gets these memories of babies and infants and like really enjoying life and all that and he realizes oh wow the last time i probably enjoyed life and saw in color was when i was a kid or when i was a baby because then from there everything's very uh so i believe it's his mom or maybe his friend uh has the baby and it is scheduled for death 
because it's either sickly or something. So Jonas takes it, and along with some of the memories and the ability to see in color and all that different stuff, he leaves. And he's off in, I believe it's either a desert or a, like blizzard or something i think it was a blizzard because i remember like there's a part where they find like a town or something yes so that's what it gets to is jonas and the baby are freezing to death in the blizzard and in the distance he thinks he sees lights but he doesn't know if he sees them or not so it leaves and that's where the book ends so it leaves up this open question of well gee was he hallucinating because he was near death did he actually see lights of a distant town? I do remember that. I didn't really remember particularly enjoying it because I didn't really get it. I was just like, it's very deep for middle school. Yeah, it, it was like a it was bit a lot. I was like, what is this? But it was definitely better than a lot of other books I read because, like, I remember specifically in like, I think eighth grade was like probably one of some of the worst books I ever read. The Adoration of Jenna Fox. Oh, that's the one. <laughs> that book, I just could it, not stand it, it just like it haunts my memories it just got under my skin so bad because it just tried way too hard to be deep like there was a lot of like i like the the i don't know what it was supposed to be but like some parts of the pages would be like a darker shade like gray and it was like some sort of poem and it was supposed to be like deep and i was like this is just pretentious and it not to mention that there was a two-page scene where this girl makes out with this guy by like a picnic table yep and it describes everything in detail I was like this is this is not necessary. This is what you're handing to an eighth grader? I okay. destroyed my copy of the book when I was done with it. I, I... did too. Uh, <laughs> basically, um, for Adoration of Jenna Fox, a little bit of explanation of that. She dies and is rebuilt, reborn as a basically an android-type person. So she thinks she's human um, up until the point where she learns she's not. And then she says, okay, what does it mean to be human? And that's basically the premise of the book is what does it mean to be human? What It's kind of like we the Blade Runner thing, exactly. but not as good as Blade Runner. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and not as long either. So uh, backtracking uh, back to the giver, that uh, ambiguous – or ambiguous. I was going to say ambiguity. Um, ambiguous. The ambiguity? Yes, ambiguous that's what it was i was gonna say i don't use that word a lot so uh the ambiguous ending is what always really stuck out to me the rest of the book is relatively forgettable to me um it's got a good message to it but yeah i and i really like dystopian i really like the older dystopian stuff like 90s and before um read a lot of that but the ending the fact that you as the audience kind of choose in your mind based on the knowledge that you've learned on whether or not he lives or dies it really stuck out to me and that's the way i view songs is sure you might hear the same lyrics i do but we're completely different people and the way that we hear and see and all that really changes the way a song means and so, like you apply personal connections to exactly. it exactly so the like second some songs mean different things to other people yeah, exactly. And that's where the second somebody comes out, even the songwriter, come out and says, this is what this song is about. I'll be like, that may be true. That may be what it was for you. But for me, it really hit me differently. Or even like what figuring out what the song is about, like 
you kind of apply like a certain connection to it. Like I've had that happen. Like there's certain songs where I listen to them. Like I think it was like a Pink Floyd song or something, and it was like it was talking about like oh this is about like Sid Barrett and just like the whole thing and knowing the situation about that. Like I've kind of somewhat experienced that. Just kind of I guess losing somebody in the sense of just like they change and blah 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 i won't go into too much detail about it. it's a little too personal but uh just the general just like i was like yeah that situation is kind of like i can relate to that like i kind of have somewhat of a kind of connection about that and it's just like that's really cool but even just like not knowing what songs are about or even figuring them out just like the overall meaning and feel of it just have like different meanings you know like different times in life and whatnot and that's what brings me back to endings like the one in the thing, where the first time I watched it, I definitely thought a certain way about the characters and the ambiguity of the ending. Uh, and now, recently rewatching, and I read a lot about the thing, how it was made, fan theories, all that stuff. And watching it again, I came to the complete opposite conclusion of the first time that I watched it. And. I really like that vague ending where you, the audience member, kind of input yourself into the situation. Because a horror movie is really just the audience putting themselves into that situation. And that's why it's scary. I mean, the concepts and the stuff are scary anyways, but why, why would running across a street and getting locked at a door, knocking on it, trying to get in, while knowing that there's a killer behind you, why would that be scary if you couldn't put yourself in the character's shoes? I think that's what make horror uh, makes horror so good is because when you can really put yourself into the character's shoes, then you're going to be scared. Yeah. You are going to care for the characters. Um, and that's also, going back to the thing, why the thing pre-sequel didn't work. Because you're immediately introduced to about 15, 16 characters... And that's double the cast of the previous one. And each of them gets so little screen time, they develop the lead female, and then all of a sudden they just go to the lead male and start developing him a bunch, and he kind of becomes, like, discount evil Kurt Russell. Um, well, not really evil, but, like, he just feels very evil, but he's just not. He's just kind of mean. Um, and they kind of flip off her, and then at the end of the movie they flip back to her. And it just doesn't feel right just, because it's just see, it, judging by what you're saying, it just sounds like it's kind of unfocused. It is, and I I think if they were to have focused on something and taken out some of the modern horror elements, it would have worked really well. Um, I mean, I, personally, with the whole like remake and sequel or reboot thing, I just think a lot of people just kind of shouldn't bother, just because of the fact that you can't really recapture that. Like, because everybody knows what the thing is, they're gonna go in. And they're going to think, oh, it's going to be the thing. And then it's something that's, like, different but still uses the same kind of beats. It's, like, story beats and elements. And it's just, like, it's just trying to, like, recapture lightning in a bottle. It's just, like, like, don't even try. Just come up with your own idea. Make your own thing. So where I will disagree with that, I I normally would agree with it 100%. The only thing is it. That is an exception, but... Like, I liked the first one, but the second one, I was kind of disappointed by. Like, It Chapter 2, it 
I thought it a lot more funny than it was scary because like the parts that were kind of trying to be scary just ended up making me laugh. It didn't help that like I had a bunch of friends there and we were all like pretty much the only people in the theater and we were just laughing the whole time. So that's what I think um, is perfect about what our entire description and discussion was today. The first movie took the elements of an 80s, 90s, 70s before horror movie. And it's that slow build, that slow crawl. You know there's this monster here, and you know it eats children because of the very beginning where you immediately see it happen. But why hasn't it gotten to the main characters yet? Why are the Losers Club the ones that are like special out of everyone? And why does he keep haunting them? At some point, I, I think what really works with it is... It takes the fear of the unknown and not the concept of like you don't know what the monster is because you kind of do. Um, but it builds on when is he going to finally do it? Because in the first movie and really in the book in general, he's yeah, based... the book is like book really is the book is really long. It took me a whole summer to read it, but it was worth it. Like it was I mean. I don't want to say that they could have cut some stuff out because every part of the book Turtle. is important to the like plot. Like it's integral. Like and it's like it kind of makes me. It's like this book is so long, but all these parts make sense in this story. But it's so good. Like there's just and even how it describes it, it's not too like heavy handed about it. There's kind of an element of like cosmic horror, like kind of like an H.P. Lovecraft kind of thing going on. But I mean, it works somehow. Like I don't know how. But it really, really works. And even the whole element of just, like, the kids trying to figure out what's going on. It's kind of like a horror movie, but at the same time, it's like there's a deeper stuff that, like, you don't really understand what's going on. Yeah, that that's really what Stephen King uh, has always been good with, is the concept of good and evil. Um, I believe he grew up Christian. I don't know about that. Um, but Christianity has influenced him a lot, along with uh, just religious concepts such as good and evil um and normally in his books you will find a pure good character and a pure evil character hence turtle and pennywise um or in the stand you have abigail and then uh oh he had a mullet ah in the miniseries i don't remember um but you have the pure good and evil figures. And that was one thing I didn't like about the remake movie is there was no pure good. Like, we saw the pure evil. We saw the kind of neutral aligned, which is the kids. But we never saw God or Turtle or, you know, whatever. By the way, the reason I keep saying Turtle is because in the book there is a Turtle that basically yeah, says, I'd... Hey, I'm God. The reason that Pennywise hasn't killed you yet is because I have been protecting you. Yeah, um, just it's, it's a big space turtle. An yeah. interdimensional space turtle. It, it's, it is a very weird book. It is a very strange book, but it it works. Yeah. I don't know how, but it works. So going all the way back around, um, with that fear of the unknown, uh, the whole concept of these kids are constantly running into Pennywise, and at any moment they could be killed. Any moment. And... He's just toying with them the whole time. And you as the audience, I mean, I find it scary anyways to be like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, walk around in uh, the top floor of the Westville Public Library and nobody's up here, but I heard movement. 
you know, something like that. Um, it's once again putting yourself into the character's shoes. And that's what the second one does wrong. It takes all of the slow burn and that fear of the unknown and throws it out the window. Replaces it with cheap jump scares. I will say... I think, like, a lot of it is just the fact that you see Pennywise in broad daylight, like, a lot. That is true. And it's like, it kind of takes this... Like, when you see him in daylight, he's not... He's a clown, you know what I mean? But, like, (laughs) when you see him in the shadows, like, in a sewer drain or in a well or in a dark house, or anything like that, it's much more scary because you don't really see enough of them, and it's just the fact that it's like... Because, you know, it's just that primal fear of just being afraid of the dark and just, like, just the fact that you don't really know what's in the dark, and that's what's scary about it. So I will say the first five minutes of the film are wonderful. Um, It follows a gay couple at a carnival, and uh, they're in small-town Maine, as always, um... And basically, at the end of the first movie, they defeat Pennywise and he goes away. Uh, but every 17 years... 27 years. 27, thank you. Every 27 years, Pennywise resurfaces um, to feed again. And basically what happens is the gay couple is walking back from the carnival and they're on top of a bridge and they get attacked by bullies. Uh, who Bullies is basically the only thing I can think of. I don't they, really remember what the characters were. They pretty much were. get hate-crimed. Yeah, it, exactly. Um, and it's very, very interesting because my thought was, okay, so we have the, not protagonists because they're relatively nameless, um, but we have kind of the good guys here, and then we've got the bullies, the hate-crime people, the bad guys. Um, and in my mind, I was like, okay, one of those bad guys um, are going to get jumped after beating up this gay couple because they did something wrong. But no, the movie immediately turns uh, that thought on its head. Because that's, a for me, what I was thinking, I feel like is a very generic thought. Like, okay, good guys, bad guys, bad guys are going to get their punishment. Um, but no, what happens is they beat a man within an inch of his life, throw him over a bridge, and then Pennywise is like, ooh, and grabs the man. So now uh, the other guy is missing his partner, and he's been searching for him, and the bullies, the hate crimers, just get away with it. And that, I was like, yes, this movie is off to a great start. I cared about that character who got thrown over the bridge. I was disappointed in his death. I really felt that connection with him. And then from that moment on, I didn't get that connection. I was always like, boo, ah! Yeah, like, there were some parts of the of the second one that were, like, really accurate to the book like the part where uh bev is it beverly? beverly she goes back to her house and then she encounters the old lady which turns out to be pennywise but like the dialogue and stuff are like right out of the book the whole the, all the story beats of that scene are just like straight from the book and i was like this is really good and then pennywise came out as like this deformed old lady and i was like and i laughed it yeah. was the funniest it's thing funny. I'd ever seen because <laughs> she just comes out, and, you know, flailing about with this kind of twisted, like weird grinning face. And it's just like, it's like, I can understand why people would be scared of this, but this just kind of makes me laugh because I just have a very warped sense of humor and just like things like that just unexpectedly happening, just elicit just a laugh from me. There is one more scene that really stuck out to me and it really got the same feel as, uh, Oh, no. His name was on the tip of my tongue. Um, the first person to die. Georgie? Georgie, thank you. But Georgie was good enough for you. 
<laughs> um, or sorry, I was good enough for Georgie. And that scene is the scene with the kid who is at his baseball game, maybe her, I don't remember. But they were at their baseball game, and they went down underneath the bleachers. And there's... Oh, no, that wasn't Georgie. That was like... Uh... Oh, I know that wasn't Georgie. Oh. I was saying it was just a different kid. It got yeah. me that same terror um, from the beginning of the first movie. Um, and he just basically takes him in broad daylight and eats him like right behind the stands, and everyone's too focused on the baseball game to care. And that... That got to me. Those two scenes were the only two that got to me in that movie. Everything else was funny or, like, generic horror. Yeah, pretty much. I was kind of disappointed. I was like, I mean, there were a lot of really com- funny, like, genuinely, like, comedic scenes. Like, uh, Bill Hader was really funny in it, I gotta say. I'm not really too familiar with Bill Hader's work, but, like, seeing him in that, I was like, this guy's funny. Like, I like this guy. I thought that was really funny. And just, like, the adults kind of interacting with each other and just seeing stuff. Like, it's it's comedic, but, like, I don't know. I think it, like, I'm not sure what it was that was different about it. Like, I can't really, like, explain it, but it just was not as good. I was really disappointed. So there's two things I point to. Um, as I've already said, the slow burn, that horror that you felt in the first one, um, that kind of fear of the unknown is washed away. Like, you know what's going to happen. You know these people are probably going to win. Like, you know, you might lose some people along the way. And it wasn't as scary. It wasn't as personal um, as it was in the first one. And the second one, I'm going to riff a little bit on the music um, and the soundtrack and the audio throughout it. It wasn't as well done um, as the first one. The first one... I mean, my brother plays the soundtrack on the piano. That's how much he loves it. And I will admit, it's a wonderful soundtrack. Um, But the second one falls into every single horror trope that has made modern horror movies not as good as they could have been. Like, occasionally there's a gem, but most of the times you just run into, you know, the generic, like, 1980s, all the girls go off to camp, and oh no, there's a slasher, ah, like... That kind of like generic... Like the kind of, like, wrong turn kind of stuff like that. Yeah. And, well, wrong and it... turn's kind of funny, because I think it's not as serious as what it's supposed to be. I know one of them has Henry Rollins from Black Flag in it, and, like, I'm like, I love Henry Rollins, so I like <laughs> the idea of Henry Rollins being, like, a survival... Like, the show, like, Survivor, like, him being the host of one of those shows, just him with his intensity of just, like, I love this. So, uh... The second one, or sorry, the first one has an amazing soundtrack, great audio, great visuals, great everything. Um, Like, I I think of the scene where the main character goes down into his basement and there's just water everywhere. Oh, yeah, that one is good. And his brother's standing on an island. Like, that was, to me, that was a good, scary scene that we're all afraid of the basement. It's scary darkness. And that scene really hit it, um, along with the music that was playing at the time. And the second one is just jump scares and not really that interesting or inspirational music um and that's what a lot of horror films nowadays run into is there's really not much in terms of soundtrack like i can think of basically any john carpenter theme song the thing halloween i can think of even big trouble in little china and stuff like that. exactly the stuff that isn't quite as famous 
and I can think of um, Alien and Candyman or uh, oh, Candyman used to terrify me. Oh yeah, that one used to get me really bad. All of those, all of those older horror films that really had music to them. And it chapter one got that nailed it nailed perfectly what made a horror film, um, but that's kind of been my disappointment lately in modern horrors uh, is the music really yeah they're not as like experimental as they can be I'd say like probably one of the best horror movies uh, yeah I think it's a horror movie I would say is probably the lighthouse like that movie was really good like I'd... I loved like because I just loved like it was everything I wanted it was like the same kind of like aspect which it was filmed on like a really old like film and stuff like that and it was just like had the same feel as like the old dark house kind of like movies from like the 30s and stuff and i was like this is fantastic so i have heard only good things about it but this is where i run into an issue um i've never seen it before so you know take this with a grain of salt uh, i heard it was similar to witch or hereditary or Midsummer, um, in the sense of it's kind of thriller, it's very slow burn, there's stuff happening, it's more psychological horror. And for me, those horrors didn't hit at all. The Witch, I found. I have not, not, I can't scary. really say because I have not seen those movies. Mm. Like, I know, like, my brother really likes uh, Hereditary and, like, Midsummer, and he tells me to watch them, but I just, I just haven't gotten around to it. But it is definitely worth watching. It is very good and well made. Like there was a lot that went into it. Even like the dialogue, they like took sources from like the late eighteen hundreds to early nineteen hundreds, like to kind of get the dialogue right and stuff like that and accents and stuff. Like there's a lot of thought and stuff put into it. And it's a very like well made movie. Very much so. Very suspenseful too. Interesting. I I will keep that in mind. It's still on my to-watch list. Um, it's number three right now on my to-watch list. Uh, and I am really hoping it doesn't give me the same vibes as Witch and Hereditary. No, I, it's, a, it's a very different movie. I laughed during those, which is a shame because, like, my roommate is deathly afraid of Hereditary. thinks it's the scariest film of all time. It was, like, like shivering in his chair in the movie theater when he saw Midsummer. But for me, I was just like, ah, there's nothing to these. There's no antagonist. There's no conflict. There's no reason for me to be scared besides like, oh, no, people going mad, which uh, might get me a little bit of hate for that. <laughs> but you know. It's kind of like that, the lighthouse. Just like, it's just two people, and they're on an island, and they're slowly just becoming completely mistrusting of each other and going behind each other's back and just doing all this stuff. And it's like, it's just, honestly, it's worth watching for Willem Dafoe's performance in it because he is amazing in that movie. And even Robert Pattinson is really good. I'm not really familiar with him. I, I remembered him being in Twilight when it came out, like, all those years ago. And I was like, oh, he's like Edward Cullen or whatever. But then I saw him in that, huh. and I was like, this is, like, he's a, he's genuinely a really good actor. Yeah, so uh, Robert Pattinson was Cedric Dickory in uh, the fourth Harry Potter movie. Uh, rest in peace, Cedric. Um, and he's the new Batman. So I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. So that, that might be interesting. I heard that Paul Dano is supposed to be in it. I think he's supposed to play the Riddler. Yeah, so I'm, I'm kind of trying to shy away from news on that simply because 
the Batman, uh, the first concept was Ben Affleck and Deathstroke, which was set up at the end of Justice League. And I favorite anti-hero is Deathstroke. Like, that's probably my favorite character of all time from a comic book is Deathstroke. So to hear that, I think he's still in it, but I think he's in a much smaller part. It makes me kind of sad because I was looking for his you know, silver screen adaptation because he just got a standalone animated movie at the beginning of this year. Um, he's got a very successful comic series. He had one in the 80s and they picked him back up and like people loved him. Um, and he's just slowly been getting bigger and bigger. Season two of Titans, season one and two of Arrow. Um, he's just getting bigger and bigger as a character. I'm not which really is... too familiar with Deathstroke. Like, I know about him, and I know he's, like, an assassin and stuff like that. But, like, I haven't really gotten too familiar with him. I haven't seen a lot of stuff with him. But, like, yeah, I... it would be interesting to see. I would highly recommend, um, if you're interested in the character, watching his movie at the beginning of this year. It's called Deathstroke. Uh, <laughs> it is on HBO Max, DC Plus, or DC Universe um, stuff. It is good. Um, it kind of follows his origin story. does a little bit more of a modern, because his origin story was back in the 80s. So it does a little bit more of a modern adaptation, and it changes a few things around, uh, especially towards the ending it changes. But, like, the beginning of it and the action, the combat in it is really, really well made. I uh, I really enjoyed it a lot. Um, but he's been in a... I mean, he was the main villain for Teen Titans, the animated TV show. I do remember that. Yeah, they just called them Slade because Deathstroke was too scary for kids, apparently. <laughs> That's why they changed it. I was like, all right. Oh, come on. Um, but yeah, uh, I think 736, I think this might be a good time to wrap up our little chat. Um, it kind of went from, you know, horror to things, back to horror to things, uh, which is normally how this type of stuff works uh and that's that's fine that's great i think it made for some nice interesting conversation and uh i'm really hoping it was nice and interesting for you too oh it was absolutely thanks for having me on it was a pleasure absolutely thank you for being on uh so you are listening to 97.5 the wild card w wobn uh right here in westerville ohio uh our next song is going to be boy scouts (laughs) 